welcome to the Carers Link Lowdown, a podcast for carers in Eastern Barnshire. My name is Katie and I am your host today. So the theme of today's podcast is the use of technology in healthcare. And I hope that by the end of the, the podcast, you will know a bit more about some of the technology that's available both to you and to the person that you care for, um, how it can help you and them, and what and how Eastern Partner Health and Social Care Partnership is hoping to use technology to improve healthcare in the future. So to help me, well, actually, they're going to do the work. I'm just going to sit and ask questions. But today I've got two people who have joined me. So joining me today are Martin, who is the Technology-Enabled Care Supervisor for Eastern Barnshire Council within the Health and Social Care Partnership, and Elaine, who is a team leader in the health services for the Community Rehabilitation Team, but also has a, a, an add-on to her role, which is to do with the, the digital technology that's involved in healthcare. So I'll ask them quickly to introduce themselves um, and then we'll go on and find out a bit more about how technology helps in healthcare. So, um, Martin, do you just want to introduce yourself quickly? Um, hi, Katie. Thanks. Uh, my name is Martin. Um, so I manage the telecare service for Eastern Martinshire uh, and I'm going to be doing a bit in telecare today. OK, thank you. And Elaine? Thanks, Katie. I'm Elaine, and as Katie said, I work in the healthcare service, but I'm working as part of a team called the Digital Board uh, in the Health and Social Care Partnership, trying to aim for uh, the outcomes described in the National Digital Strategy for Scotland. And um, that's some of the things that we'll be talking about today. So hopefully it will give you a taste of what's available to people and their carers and what's coming in the future. What we normally do is we'll put the resources um, in the show notes. So we'll put a link to the, the National Strategy and, and um, anything else that you, if you can send us afterwards, any links and we'll put them and people can go away and, and check them out. Martin, you said telecare. What does what does telecare mean? What's 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 it about? Okay, so telecare is the support and assistance provided at a distance uh, using information and communication technology. Um, it is the continuous, automatic, and remote monitoring of users uh, by means of sensors to enable them to continue living in their own home. Uh, we can install a variety of sensors in someone's home. Uh, we can install a fall detector, a gas detector, smoke detectors, flood detection, and other uh, sensors that relate to real-time emergencies and lifestyle changes over time. Um, I'll touch on uh, specifically a bit more options uh, for throughout the podcast. Um, technology continues to have an increasing role in promoting independence. Telecare equipment and devices can be activated by the service user and can be activated remotely. Uh, the equipment could include um, fall detectors, smoke detectors, medication reminders, environmental environment, environmental monitoring, uh, and GPS monitoring systems. Um, and I'll touch a bit more specifically on what I mean by them, those terms uh, throughout the podcast. Yeah, I think the name, the thing there that possibly most people will be, be aware of or familiar with is is the falls detector bit of things. So yeah. that's so how you know I know it's something. Um, we often say to people that's you know the the community we call it a community alarm. I don't know what the proper name proper name for it is. No, no, but... community, community alarm's fine. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, do you want to talk a bit more about about that one in particular? Because I think that's um, yeah. Uh, so basically, a, a falls detector um, is quite kind of self-explanatory. It detects them if someone suffers a fall. 
So the way the sensor works is if you go from a standing position straight onto the floor and you don't return to a standing position within 20 seconds. So it gives you a wee small window to try and return to a standing position. If you don't get up to that standing position, it'll automatically raise a call through your community alarm. Um, so that's good for maybe someone's got a cognitive impairment that don't understand that they've had a fall and they aren't aware or remember to press their community alarm. Uh, the fall detector essentially will raise that call on your behalf. I think one of the things that, that, that we often find is uh, that people do have to wear the alarms, though, don't they? That's Yeah, that, that's, that's the, tri- the tricky point with a lot of these sensors. You, you can install loads and loads, but it's the simplest of things that lets it down, i.e. remembering to take them with them or, or wearing a device. Um, but there, there tends to be a couple of options for each device. It's not just a case that there's one option and that's it. I mean, especially for the, the, the tracking devices we provide, we've got a variety of options. Um, but I can touch on that a wee bit more um, as, as we go through this. Yeah, yeah. And the tracking devices, I know you used to have the, the show the show flats where people go along yeah. and, and see all of these things. That, uh, and that's not available anymore, Adam. Not, not currently, no. Um, we are looking at alternatives for that just now. So if someone does fall and and it, the, um, the, the call is made to the, the, the team, the falls team, the community care team, what, what happens to the person who's fallen? What's, what's the process that would happen then? Um, so if someone's fallen, um, it would alert their community alarm. So their community alarm would then send a call um, to our control centre. Um, and they would arrange for an appropriate response. So it depends. They can talk to you through the alarm, so they could have a conversation with you through it. And obviously, if you say, I'm, I'm OK, I'm back up now, um, they might decide not to send someone. Um, if you do have a cognitive impairment, um, they will send them someone anyway, um, because obviously somebody could be confused and think that they're actually okay, but in fact they're not, they're still lying on the floor or they might be in a bit of pain and just aren't aware of it. Um, we can arrange for emergency services to attend if you wanted to. Uh, they can phone a family member to attend um, or we have got a response team who will attend to have got specialist lifting equipment. Again, it's, it's dependent on the on the situation. If the, if the response team attending someone's in, in pain, they're probably going to phone an ambulance on their behalf because they're not medically trained in that respect. What other kinds of things are there? You talked about tracking devices. That sounds very big brother stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we've we've got a variety of tracking devices. Uh, and again, it's, it's within reason. There has to be an identified risk um, for the user. We, we don't just give them out because someone wants to know whether their mother and father or brother and sister, whoever it is. It, it doesn't quite work like that. Um, so we need to be identified risk. Um, it would go through an assessment phase uh, and we would determine what was the best solution for them. So, for example, if someone is maybe going out during the night and getting lost within the community, um, we could give them a buddy. Um, a buddy looks like a pebble and you can pop it in your jacket. Um, you could pop it in a handbag uh, or you could pop it into a key ring. Uh, and that basically gives you the function to track and trace. Um, there is another uh, version of the buddy that you can actually have a conversation through it. Um, so if someone alerted that, they can talk to Buddy's control centre and they could say, I'm lost, I need help. Um, can my family come and get me? And they'll send uh, the location to the family members. Um, there is a few other variations. It isn't just one device. Um, we've started uh, trialing a device a couple of years ago. It looks like a watch, essentially. Um, and that does the same stuff again. Um, it's track and trace. Uh, so when I say track and trace, I mean you can go into a live map, Google Maps, for example, and see exactly where somebody is within a 100-metre radius. Um 
you can also phone that as well. So that watch carries a SIM card within it. So your family member could actually phone you and have a conversation through the watch uh, and say, oh, Dad, Mum, where are you? Oh, I'm just going to the shops. That's fine. You don't need to worry. That's okay. And that obviously increases in independence of the fact that you're going to the shops, you're not getting somebody chasing after you. Um, we've also got a set of souls. Um, so it's a set of smart soles that we're going to a bottom uh, of a pair of shoes. Uh, there's pros and cons to every device. The good thing about the smart soles is it goes into the bottom of the shoe and that's it. Um, but you're limiting the user to one pair of shoes. Um, it's quite an expensive piece of equipment, so we would only tend to use one of them. Um, so you would need to make sure you've got your favourite trainers at the front door um, if you're going out a lot. Um, and again, that's just track and trace. But the it's the simplest of things can let these things down. You need to make sure that there is a family member there that's going to be able to charge the device. Um, it's the same as a mobile phone. It's the same as everything else. It runs off a battery, uh, and the battery requires to be charged, obviously. Uh, and we need to make sure that the, the user will take it with them. If someone's got advanced Alzheimer's dementia, um, is there a chance they're going to remember to take that with them if they're going to leave the property um, alone? perhaps not so you maybe need to put a reminder on the door or maybe leave it in a jacket or maybe speak to someone a neighbour or next to kin that would be going to get a bit of a routine to do it um, but they, they do work they, they are they are good devices it's just sometimes the situation can let them down a wee bit um, but that's always discussed at the assessment stage anyway and, and who would suggest normally to someone that, that, that a, a tracking device might be helpful would that come from do GPs know about it or is... yeah G- GPs uh, the so- all the social workers um, are all trained in it um, so when a new member of staff starts we in Bartonshire um, uh, telecare is part of the training package um, so if a new social worker starts we will all sit down and have a conversation with them with some of the options that are available um, within Eastern Bartonshire all different authorities provide different things so it's good to obviously make sure they know exactly what EDC actually provide um, and obviously if the, the referral has been made from a social worker for example at that point um, I would do the assessment so I would have a conversation just now it was over the phone uh, with maybe next of kin family members whatever to get a picture of the situation that's happening in the house Sometimes, since we're only subject to tracking devices, um, that can be too much straight away. There's other options there. Uh, deterrence, if you want to call up from someone going out at night, at night, for example. So you would always try and explore other avenues before we get to that stage. Um, if someone lives at home um, with their husband and wife, uh, we can put a set of door contacts onto the door um, and we can connect it to a pager device. So basically, if someone's in their bed, and they might sleep in separate rooms, for example, uh, and we don't hear them going out the front door. You would now hear them going out the front door because there's a wee set of door contacts. As soon as that front door gets opened up, it'll set a pager off and you know that's that's my husband and my wife trying to go out the front door, whereas you might have not known until they were physically way out and down the street. And there is a few different variations of that. We can install things in beds uh, that detects pressure so if you got up during the night um, and the pressure is relieved on the mat it will start a timer um, quietly it doesn't make a noise like 10, 9 um, and it will set the pager off again that lets you know that they're out of bed and obviously and that, that works as, as well as someone getting out of the house it works as someone's maybe had a fall so saying you might give someone the example 10 minutes to get back to their bed and if they've not got back within the 10 minutes if they suffered a fall down the stairs and they're lying in, in the living room floor down the stairs you can go down and check there's, there's loads and loads of different options telecare sensor wise um, but again there will be an assessment carried out so we will recommend the most uh, suitable piece of equipment for the situation yeah 
I'm just thinking, you know, if those ones, if they're pages for in the house, would they work if you were not living in the house with the person? Would that? No. So, uh, I mean, you would need you would need to be up. So, if someone was going out their bedroom and you wanted to be alerted through the community alarm, by the time you do that, it goes through the community alarm service. They phone you. There's quite a delay in yeah. the time you arrange for the response. I.e., if it was a family member to go back in, you might find her in their bed at that point. So. It, it might not necessarily be the most practical thing in the world to do. We can do it, but there would need to be a good reason for it because it's quite it's quite a commitment. I can't a lot of these sensors, especially if family members are due to respond, they can it can be quite a big commitment, especially everyone's got their own lives and people work and people have got holidays and stuff. So th- there is quite a big commitment. Again, the commitment will be fully explained at the end still though what would be required um of of a user, if you like. But I suppose the plus side is that it, it can free that person of a bit of worry if they know that if something happens that they're going to be alerted. So it's, it's oh, that absolutely. balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. especially with the, the, the door sensors. I mean, we can't let family members to that if, if a user goes out and doesn't return within a period of time. So say, for example, you might want to give someone 10 minutes. So they might open the door and, I don't know, they might stand and have a cigarette. They might go and stand in the back garden, but they come in within that 10 minutes, then, you know, they're fine. They're back in the house. They've not went out of the house because the sensors detect them coming back in the back door. So there's, there's no need to alert the family members. Um, whereas if someone goes out over the 10 minutes, then there is a risk of they went down the street. You can set, when I, I do refer to the 10 minutes, it can be 10 seconds. It could be instant. It can be as long as you want it to be. So, yeah, it does. It gives uh, family members a bit more independence as well in that respect that not every time their, their father or mother's at the door that they need to respond, they don't. Mm-hmm. They can be set up. It can be tailored to the individual. So you've, you've talked about, you know, you get a referral and then you would go and do the assessment. And then yeah. what would happen the, after? How does it all get installed? How does it work within yeah. the, within the house? Um, so we would arrange um, a suitable appointment um, for the user or for the next the kind of user to attend. Um, I would arrange for our technicians to come out. Um, they would know what their duty install um, at that point. They would have a conversation when they're in the house again, just in case anything else has changed and anything else they can recommend uh, further. Um, we do a thing called a demo fit, which is a demonstration. So they'll do a demonstration of all the requested telecare equipment that they've got with them. They'll show the user it working and what to expect when it's inactivated so for example if the door contacts have been activated you know exactly what to expect and how to turn off the notification and if someone decides to go ahead with it they will then fit it so they would then install it there and then um, we would come back between a week to two weeks later and do a, a first routine visit so basically that's just a visit follow-up visit to make sure that everything's working um, it's working the way you expected it to work and if there's anything else you would need or require, so you might decide, do you know, I could have used a, a, a link smoke detector in the kitchen because my mum burnt, burnt a bit of toast the week after you guys left. Fine. We, we would install that there then as well. They do carry um, some stock within their cars, so we, we can install um, the stuff there then as well. And do they, do they need anything in the house? Do they need the internet? Do they need a phone line? You know, no. What kind of things do they need? So... For a community alarm, all you require is a modern telephone socket, a 13 amp electrical socket, and a telephone line capable of making outgoing calls. Um, the way a community alarm works is um, once it's activated, it sends a telephone call essentially um, to the control centre, and that's the way it sends a signal to alert you that my false detector's been activated or my community alarm's been activated. It gets registered through as a phone call. That's how it reaches an outside line. 
if you like. Um, so yeah, you would you would just need a, a working telephone uh, point. We can provide uh, a community alarm with a SIM card in it that will send calls. So for example, if you're going out to the hospital and you've maybe not got a phone line up and running yet and it's essential for discharge or you feel like you really need it straight away, we can provide a unit that will run off a SIM card. Um, just now there is no extra charge for that. If you were needing it in long term and you weren't prepared to get a phone line, um, you may incur an extra charge, although that's something that would be discussed in the line. Um, so yeah, essentially your, your best bet is a, is a telephone line, a working telephone line, but there is alternatives. And I think you mentioned charges there. I think that you know that there is a charge, isn't there, for the service? So yeah, you do pay a small weekly charge. Um, I think the now is four pounds seventy-nine per week, um, which is inclusive of everything. So that's all your equipment, that's your maintenance, that's your service, that's if you require the response team to attend twenty times in a day, for example. Uh, we hope you don't need that, but say you did. Um, you don't pay per call, um, so it's not a case that because you need the response team to attend five times, you pay five five charges. It doesn't work like that. It's just a flat rate charge. Um, so if you when we refer to a, a basic install as a button and box, which is a pendant and a community alarm, it's still the same charge. So if you needed that plus 20 pieces of equipment, it's still the same charge. Um, the other thing is obviously assessed and will be installed within reason if there's an identified risk as well. And, and finally, the final question for you before I move on to Elaine is what what do you see happening in the future with, with this kind of stuff? What developments are on the on the horizon for us all? Um, so the telecare world's going through quite a big development just now. Um, as I was touching on earlier, there, Katie, our alarms um, use an analog telephone line. Um, so by twenty twenty five, uh, all the telephone telecom companies uh, will replace analog telephone lines with digital equivalents, um, which basically mean that the existing analog lines. Um, you can't get an analog line anymore by that point. Um, and obviously, our current systems rely on an analog telephone line. Um, so, um, Eastern Bartonshire have established a project team um, to, to work through the analog to digital changeover. So, it looks like um, all the community alarms uh, would be replaced with digital units, which obviously offers you a lot more um, options uh, down the line. And we're going to develop a range of telecare services that are offered to utilise higher capacity and an always-on connection to the user's home, which in turn improves efficiency and expands the range of telecare services that can be offered to the users. Um, so, yeah, Eastern Bartonshire are, are quite involved in the, the analog to digital changeover. We are, Eastern Bartonshire will still continue to commission a number of intensive assisted care packages, which safely increases the level of independence. Um, these models have been very successful to provide a model for future community-based support. Um, so there, there, is, there is a lot, there is a lot on, on the horizon. There's always new equipment out there. We're always testing new equipment. We're always open to new ideas. Um, before COVID, we were uh, attending care tests and things like that to get some feedback from users within the community. Um, there's the stuff that we might not provide just now that that is required. Um, so we're always looking for feedback as well. It's a continuing improving service. So any feedback from users is vital to us as well. So any listeners out there who have ideas as to what kind of telecare could, could help them or the person that they care for, then get in touch with us. You can you Absolutely. can email. If you get in touch with Carers Link, it's probably the easiest thing. Um, so that's inquiry at carerslink.org.uk um, and we will certainly pass the messages on. 
I'll send some attachments and things through, um, some links for the guys, and basically um, that, that'll tell you how to contact right. us directly if you want to. Excellent. Thank you very much, Martin. So right. thanks Thank thanks for that. So it's, there's so much out there that I think people really need to know about and, and, and will gain independence both for the, the person they care for and give them some independence yeah. from their caring role as well. So now we want to Elaine, who has a slightly different role. So you're you're more about technology within a healthcare, aren't you, Elaine? Yes, to a point, but not not to the not to the degree that Martin is involved with technology enabled care. I mean, Martin is an expert in his field. Uh, I'm not speaking with any great expertise today um, in this particular field because it is a new and emerging one. I think that's very true. I think. COVID particularly has, has changed things so dramatically. I mean, what we used to expect from a, a consultation is now nothing like what we're, what we're, well, we either expect yeah. or going to get. So how have things changed um, within the healthcare uh, consultations and, and what can people expect going forward? What changes might they see going forward? Okay, well, there are, there are two main things I want to mention here. And the first of those relates to digital consultations. Now, it's a relatively new experience, as I've said, for people to consider having their healthcare consultations take place online. But the future actually came quite quickly due to COVID and many, many consultations now and going into the future um, take place in this way. Now, remember that telephone is also counted as a digital consultation. So, um, you know, it ranges from a phone consultation through to an online Zoom-like consultation. Um, if people have experienced Zoom or Microsoft Teams, and there are there are different methods for, for doing that. So whilst your, your GP or other healthcare person might initially consult with you by telephone, that consultation will either lead them to make a decision about onward referral or the need to see you themselves. Um, if they need to see you themselves, this might take place online um, or in person. And I suppose it's important to underline here for people and their carers that this can take place online. So um, sometimes people might be being asked to go and attend a surgery when they maybe don't actually have to go. So consider that in the back of your minds when you're having these consultations with GPs, that there is the facility there for people to have online style consultations um, and that GPs and other healthcare professionals will um, be able to make a decision about whether you need to actually be seen if something actually needs to be touched or looked at, um, you know, in person. Um, so it may depend on either the situation you or your cared for person is in or what people have access to or the ability to operate in terms of required technology. Because we do, of course, appreciate that everybody isn't able to cope or carry out an online consultation. Um, so, you know, that's, that's important for us all to remember. And healthcare professionals are also still learning the ropes in relation to these things. So may sometimes opt for the person-to-person -person consultation because they're not quite sure about how to go about an online consultation. So there's there's differences from healthcare um, to healthcare professional. 
Um, the second point I would um, is about monitoring your health remotely. Mm-hmm. So some people may already have inadvertently experienced the use of technology in some of their healthcare consultations. For example, heart monitors or tracers are given out to people to monitor any heart or uh, abnormalities. And these are things which people wear for a day or a number of days to monitor um, their 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 heart activity. And um, the unit gets dropped off at the hospital or the consultant for that to be analysed in order to look at what's happening. And you know that is healthcare technology. Um, because you used to be in a position where you might have to stay in hospital for a couple of nights to be monitored in that way, whereas now they can send you off um, with the monitor on your person and uh, you can drop it off again when the time is, is finished. So there are lots of different pieces and methods for using technology to help monitor things like long-term conditions such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, whereby readings such as um, oxygen saturation is collated with tools at home and readings sent by text um, through a protected site to a healthcare professional to monitor progress or take action if the progress is not being made or the health professionals worried about the readings. Um, Technology is growing fast in these areas and will become very much part of our future, particularly around helping those who need it with chronic disease management, you know, such as diabetes, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, hypertension, as some examples of some of those. You know, it's really interesting you talking about the heart monitors because my husband had one um, just last week, actually, for three days. And the advantage, as I see it, is that he's always known that there are things which set him off. So if he'd been in hospital, he's very unlikely to have have done any of the things because he was told to go. This is this is the honest truth. Alcohol is one of the things that sets him off. So he was told to go home and drink a substantial amount of alcohol. (laughs) (laughs) So but but in hospital, if if he had to do that in hospital, that wouldn't he wouldn't have done that. And it wouldn't have set his, his heart off. So. There are real advantages to being able to, to do that kind of thing at home, apart from the fact that you drank for the first time in probably about six months, which you really enjoyed. <laughs> Very good. I like that. But, but yes, I mean, I think that's maybe what people need to think about is, is that it, you know, technology is possibly stuff that it's not new, it's stuff that we're potentially already doing. Yes. Um, yes. So I, I've talked about one of the advantages of uh, uh, t- healthcare, the technology there. Is, are there any other advantages that you, you can? let us know about for the health professionals, the the carers or the person themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think um, some of those technological advances um, are important in terms of of how health professionals can both record what they need to about your health care or make decisions maybe quicker about sending onward referrals um, or decide when another healthcare professional is required. There are, um, you know, other advantages around how time is used. And as we all hear all the time about the pressures on everybody across the health and social care and social work system. And anything that that helps us to um, help people to help themselves and deal with things um, maybe in a sort of quicker, more effective way 
is good for the for the whole system and uh, you know helps us to to weed out things that we maybe would have spent more time on by having somebody travel to an appointment and you know come into a place to be seen whereas um some of these um interventions can be quicker and slicker because um of the nature of of how they're performed and it helps helps other people as well because I've, I've been in a situation of being a carer myself and having to take time away from your work to take somebody to an appointment uh, and all the rest of it. If you've got a piece of kit that does the job and sends the readings to a healthcare professional or um, a way of um, being part of a, a consultative process with a health professional that can happen online rather than having to you know, drive all over the place to take people to appointments and um, can only be a good thing when it's appropriate. So so is that something that can happen if you're having a, a consultation with somebody, the patient, it's okay for the, the carer to be there? That You know, is that something that, that happens at Yes, a regular thing. yes, and we have we have encouraged and actually you know had experience during uh, these these past uh, times through COVID of including um, carers and, and loved ones in consultations. Uh, as healthcare professionals, sometimes we've been at the person's house with them, but the carer's not been able to be there because they're remote or they're having to be somewhere else as well, but they can be potentially on their phone or their iPad and included in the consultation at, at the, you know, in real time. Um, and, and those were things that we previously couldn't do. You might have tried to get somebody on a phone before, but it's not the same as the person being visible to their loved one and being able to say, well, mum, you know what the health professional saying to you sounds actually like a good idea. Why not try it? Because sometimes we rely on relatives and carers to um, you know, help us to persuade people as well that you know about what might be useful and good for them um, when they're maybe reluctant to to take something forward. So, I mean, we've already talked about if they need to see the health professional that that they can do. I mean, is is that just that they would they would make the appointment and and go to the the clinic? If the health professional absolutely had to see somebody in person and it wasn't a team that were able to see somebody in their own home, like district nurses or um, uh, the likes of my team, the, the community rehab team, you know, they, 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 it would probably be in a clinic or a hospital setting, yes. And I suppose one of the questions we need to think about is people are often worried in terms of technology and, and safety of their personal information if it's going over the internet and this kind of stuff. So, is there a way to reassure people that that it is safe? I would, I would, I would say so. The governance is is the name that we we give for the systems and processes about how we look after your information is one of our very highest priorities in health and social work. And we would never take people down a route which was not deemed to sit within a strong, safe structure. 
you know, built around uh, the protection of your information. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the day that we used to carry about paper files in the community. And I do feel that we're in a much better position today with electronic systems and files which are, are being constantly protected and, and looked after. And it's a very, very high priority in terms of um, people's information. Absolutely. Good. Good to hear that. So I suppose the final question is, what do you see happening in terms of healthcare technology in the future? Where, where is it going? I mean, the advancements in health and social care and social work, which are taking place to help us to help you and uh, for you to help yourselves are very fast paced right now. Um, I, th I think all and any of it can support good outcomes for people and less tedious appointments at places that we have to travel to or take our loved ones um, whom we're looking after back and forwards to is a good thing. Um, there, there, is, there is so, so much um, that's uh, available in terms of advancements, you know, that now allow us to talk with patients, see them. Um, we've got a system called NHS Near Me that can include the, the you know, the carer or, or, or others that they want to be involved in their consultations if they're not around. Um, there's so many different um, types of, of other things that are, are measuring the um, things that we need to know about people if they're suffering from long-term conditions. And all of those advancements are, you know, are there's, there's, there's a new one almost every week, um, a new type of remote technology. One of the things that we deliver um, in the Health and Social Care Partnership just now is that home carers support um, people sometimes with administration of their medication and that's all done on paper it's all paperwork it's all it's all things that's that's done you know with paperwork being uh, produced uh, an assessment and you know re the paperwork relative to that process um, and and now you know we're seeing uh, digital processes growing up out of almost nowhere to support that and so we're looking at um, that becoming a, a digital process in, in time as well at the moment so that almost every week there's there's something else that that comes on uh, the market that we can look at and and uh, you know there's potential for for use of it um, and I think all, any and all of it can support good outcomes for people the fact that we don't have to be reliant on people going to a place for a consultation potentially would be a great support to many um, in terms of anything that would make the biggest difference to people in the future is if I could wave a magic wand I'd want everyone to have access to the internet and be able to use technology proficiently we may have to wait for later generations um, for that but many many carers and others are able to grasp technology and use it and it can help them and the people they care for to you know without uh, the need to always be somewhere with them and um, which can give some well-deserved breathing space to carers. Carers Link has we have what we call tech buddies um, so if there is anyone out there that's interested in, in getting involved with, with technology and using it, then please get in touch with Carers Link because we have volunteers who will 
at the moment, they're helping people obviously remotely over the phone to start mm-hmm. off with, and then as they get confident using the technology. But um, eventually, we hope to go back to face-to-face meetings. So don't don't be put off by by the te- by not understanding technology because there is help out there. That's great. The other thing I would mention um, today, Katie, is that the national strategy is about to undergo a bit of a refresh. And um, there are there is some consultation underway um, to contribute to that. So um, when we send the link to the national strategy to to people, I I would love to hear any comments or thoughts um, that carers would like to contribute into that process. And I'm happy to uh, to take them into that process, those comments, because um, I'd, I'd love to hear if there's, you know, anything that occurs to people about that. That would be great. So if, if anything sparked your enthusiasm, your interest, your curiosity from today, then then we'll put the links in the show notes and you'll be able to pass your thoughts on to or your questions on to Elaine and and and. Um, then they can be taken forward. So, yes, it's really important, I think. It's a really good opportunity to get involved in developing the future of it and making sure that it actually fits the people out there. So thank you both very much. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Martin. Um, That's bringing us to the end of this podcast. Uh, The next of our podcasts we're hoping will be to do with mental health and people's experiences of mental health during lockdown and what's helped them to to maintain their mental health so look out for that one um but that's that's the end for today so stay safe and we will be back on the air shortly 